it's an interesting thing to see all of those things that have happened and all of the mistakes that you make and amend and learn from and some regret. But at the same time, you come to this point right here and right now. And for me, I am so thankful that I am here right now that I would go through everything. And a lot of it was not, not happy. You know, I would go through everything that I have gone through to get here right now. You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries, a community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Blossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Femcanics, I want to hear from you and get your feedback. I want to know what you like or don't like about the podcast. You can leave a message by calling 614-636-2240. Again, it's 614-636-2240. Leave me a message and who knows, you might hear yourself on the podcast. Gavin Fax is in the driver's seat today. She has a list of skills and accomplishments that have many people referring to her as legendary. She is one of the most badass women to have graced two wheels. She is a public speaker, transportation research Hello, Femtanics. This is Jamie B. coming to you and, and test I rider. Gavin Fax. She's in been featured the in multiple magazines how are you and doing moto today, documentaries. Absolutely. She's a stunt woman, actress, Thank you so much for much setting up some time Even to chat these with are me all and very share impressive. your story. It is Gavin's genuine with the Femtanic spirit that left me without words name during the interview. Thank you very much for the compliments on the name of Femcanic Garage. Yeah, I think it's a great name. That's the one thing I really loved. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. And what drew me to you, I actually saw you on Instagram and it was photos as with everyone, but then your captions and what you have to say with the photos that you post is, is very captivating. And I just kept kind of watching and kind of seeing because I'm very particular with what I share on Femcanic Garage Instagram feed mm-hmm. because there's a certain image of women I want to portray and that represent Femcanic Garage. I always dive into people's bios and things like that to make sure that it aligns because I get a lot of, hey, will you post this? Well, I don't know. I want to see what you're about. <laughs> exactly. I love what you're about. For all of those listeners out there, go to GevinFax.com, and that's G-E-V-I-N-F-A-X.com. Check out this amazing woman. It, it gives more background around how amazing you are, Gavin. And the more I got to know you, the more I wanted to know you. And the message that you have in empowering women and really taking it to that next level, you've, you've made it a lifelong mission. And I think it's amazing. Gosh, I, I don't. <laughs> thank you. First of all, I, I'm 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 just absolutely speechless by <laughs> what you're saying. I, I, I'm I'm deeply humbled, honestly. But I have to give credit to my parents. You know, I I would not be the person that I am 
had it not been for my parents. Um, my, my mother passed in 2011. My father's still living. And they were the dynamic duo. I mean, they were incredible. And, and what they had achieved in their lifetime, you know, lifetimes, my father is still achieving at, at this stage in his life. He's 94 years old. But the things that they did and the accomplishments that they made with what they had to work with is it, it's still mind boggling to me. And I, I look at it so differently now that I am the age that I am, as opposed to how I looked at it when I was, you know, a lot younger, as it is for anybody for that matter, you know, but, but my parents had this incredible, oh gosh, forward thinking way of going about life and keeping it positive. You know, I just, I, I feel so blessed that I, I grew up in th- that type of household. And I'm not saying that we were perfect, nothing like that. I'm just saying that I learned so much from our family dynamic. And that's what has set me on this course. And it has been since I was a child that I've been like this as, as the rest of my family. I have to pause because I, as you're speaking, I'm processing. You said your father is 95, Four. 94. So he would have been born in the 20s. Correct. I I have to pause and and I want to give the listeners a moment to wrap their mind around that. Um th- this is a podcast. It, there isn't video and you are a woman of color. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of blood though. There is a lot of mixed blood. My mother was very very well both my mother and my father are actually lighter complected than I am. Uh-huh. Because of their backgrounds, but I, I I digress a bit. So go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. You. No, no, that that's fine. Context is good here. And it, I, I'm sorry. I'm just I, that's the 20s. Yes. And what your father has seen. So you shared what they were given to work with, and how yes. positive and forward thinking they were. Yes. But I I think it's in the 20s, born in the 20s, and what your father has seen. Yes. In his lifetime. Exactly. It makes you, you know, I'm at the age right now that my mother was when she had a massive stroke that did not take her life. She survived it and lived another 20 plus years after that. But it changed her. And I look at what she was dealing with, you know, when I was a child, not really understanding the enormity of it or the, the the size of these these issues that they would have to deal with you know i mean i look back on that now and it's like oh my god you know they were just incredible both of them my mother my mother uh was a medical secretary and uh brilliant and actually knew the medical terminology better than most of the doctors and did shorthand so well that they would always ask for my mother you know they would always ask for my mother and my mother was beautiful. I mean, like glamorous, beautiful, like movie star, beautiful, you know, this, this glamour thing that she had about her was just, I was in love with my mother. You know, It was like everybody captivating, yeah, absolutely captivating. And the two of them together, they were both captivating, but behind all of that was this, this genuine goodness, um, to do the right thing, to, to be compassionate, to be fair, you know, to be loyal, to be loving, you know, and and certainly not without flaw, you know, they were only human, but growing up in our family, 
with what I know from then to what I know now is, is just, I think I realized when I was younger that it was very odd to have a family that got together, <laughs> you know, that really got along well. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. And, and, you know, when you, when you come to that kind of reality, you're kind of like, um, uh, you don't like your mom and dad. <laughs> you know, I don't. And you stole the car and took it around. I mean, not that those were bad, you know, kids, kids will be kids and (laughs) a little much, you know, I'd never done anything like that. So when I would hear things like that, it was like, Oh, I can't believe you did that. And then I started feeling abnormal. (laughs) You know, I started feeling like, is there something wrong with me? Because I didn't break into my parents' liquor cabinet and I listened to what they said. Is there something wrong with me? (laughs) I mean, it was like, I don't know there was some weird stuff going on, you know, that I look back on. It's like, I'm, I just feel really fortunate that I had a a really great childhood. Yeah. Talk about setting you up with a great foundation. And I I just, I I'm speechless and and I'm piecing that together and just how amazing that is. I I'm honored to know you. I'm honored to hear your folks stories. Um, I hope, Maybe you can share a picture of maybe your mom and dad uh, that I could include in the blog post. So as people listen to the podcast, they can put faces with names if maybe that's a possibility. Uh, That is a huge possibility. I would be more than happy to do that. Um, I, like I said, you know, I, I have some lovely pictures of my parents uh, when they were younger and I have some that are certainly more recent uh, before my, my mother passed, my father hasn't changed a bit. I mean, he's still see that beautiful little boyish smile of his from when he was 18 to, to now when he's 94, my father bears a smile that will burn through an iceberg. You know, I mean, it's, it's, he's captivating as was my mother, you know, and he's jovial and he, he, as my mother did, would always seek to find the most positive way to deal with anything. Well, and Gavin, the the reality is, is they lived through an era that just was not friendly to men and women of color. Right. And yeah. it's, we're still battling it. Yeah, absolutely. And then it's not just, you know, the positive attitude, right? It, that's, that's great. Yes. But where the rubber meets the road is living it. Not just the words, but living it. And then when you live it, you have offspring that are like you. It, it, It just, it happens organically and it's taught through watching. And I, I tell everyone this more is caught than taught. More is caught than taught. And, and as children, we catch more of what our parents do rather than what they preach to us, if that makes sense. And it sounds like your parents we're great role models. And and like you said, no one's perfect, right? Yeah. But it's who are you at your core? Exactly. Exactly. It really does come down to that. I mean, and all of this, again, I, you know, I don't, I don't mean to keep dwelling on, you know, my, my own age, but the, the truth of the matter is, is, you know, looking back at 60 plus years and, and watching the changes in my family, watching it grow, watching, you know, it blossomed watching, you know, my parents grow older and then my, the loss of my mom, you know, th- there's just all of these dynamics that go on as you are trying to struggle through your own life. You know? Right. <laughs> um, it's, 
it's an interesting thing to see all of those things that have happened and all of the mistakes that, you know, you make and, and amend and learn from and some regret. But at the same time, you come to this point right here and right now. And for me, I am so thankful that I am here right now that I would go through everything. And a lot of it was not, not happy. You know, I would go through everything that I have gone through to get here right now mm. because I am just that happy with my life. And, and, and again, I'm not saying, Oh, it's all happy. And it's not, it's not, you know, I would be lying if I said, Oh, everything's all it's not, you know, everybody has ups and downs. Every life has ups and downs. That's what makes us appreciate the happiness. You know, I mean, motorcycling for me, you know, I was just asked this question not too long ago. It's like motorcycling for me is the one time that I, it's a straight, it's kind of an oxymoron. I'm like a hummingbird. So, but when I get on my bike, it's the only time I really can sit still for a long time. It's your spirit animal. (laughs) It really is. I'm, you know, it, even though I'm mobile, I am more present when I am on that motorcycle than I am 99% of the time, you know, I mean, unless there's like, when there's someone in front of me, though, I do, I work very hard to give them my attention. You know, I mean, it's like, it's, this is a, this is a human being that's, that's chosen to be in front of you. That is the most important person in your world right now is the person that's right in front of you. So elegantly put, there's, there's so much there's so many dimensions to you. And this is probably the most difficult interview that I've struggled with preparing for, even though you've provided me the most content, because there are so many avenues that could be explored in this interview. You really have done a lot in your lifetime. And you'd mentioned that you were an athlete at Ohio State University. I'm a graduate of Ohio State University, and, and it's funny how the world shrinks. <laughs> and here you are in California now, right? Yes. Well, I, you know, I, I was born and raised in California, but my parents transplanted our family in the early 70s, in 1970, let me think here, oh, 1971, because I would have been a freshman then, let's see, two, three, four, five, um, I graduated in 1975, but um gosh, it's such a deep story. My parents used to keep my younger brother and myself in private school. Well, that's extremely expensive for, you know, my father was a painting contractor. My mother was a medical secretary. So that's difficult to keep two children in private school. Um, By the time we got into junior high, it was, it was really too much. So I went to junior high school one year here in LA after being in parochial school for years from first grade, as long as I can remember. And making that switch was such a culture shock because, you know, I'd been in saddle lockfords and plaid skirts and, you know, ironed white shirts and, you know, keeping my hair on the, you know, to Woodstock. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You know, (laughs) so it was a culture shock. And I mean, but my parents, raised us well, you know, I mean, again, I have to attribute this to my parents because, all right, so my first day at school, I'm, I'm in a really nice little skirt and pair of nice little shoes. All the kids are dressed like Woodstock. (laughs) That's awesome. And it was like, okay, so that was my first culture shock. And then a girl comes up to me. 
I could say her. I remember her full name. I don't want to say it on the thing because, you know, anyway, this story. So she runs up to me. She goes, hi, how are you? And I go, hi, how are you? And she goes, hey, you want some drugs? And she took a bag of drugs. Like she had Dilata. She had Black Beauty. She had, you know, I didn't know any of this stuff <laughs> at the time because, you know, I didn't know. I'm just a little kid from Catholic school, So when you, you know? say Woodstock, you mean on multiple <laughs> levels of Woodstock. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, I can't even begin to tell you. It was lit. It was like walking into Woodstock. Okay, so I'm like, oh my god. Okay, so that was my first encounter. And then when I started, um, you know, taking the classes there, well, I had been in parochial school. Uh, well, I I was like a CB student in parochial school, and I had to work really hard for that. Well, when I got into private school, I was like a straight A student. I'd already been taking tr- trigonometry and geometry, like in the latter part of fifth grade, oh, wow! you know? So when I got into like algebra, it was like, you, what do you mean? You're like, you guys are like eighth graders and you're take, you don't know what trigoni- trigonometry and geometry are. And they were like, no, we're in algebra. And I was like, oh, that's what we did at third grade. <laughs> like, Sweet. Was like, it was, it was bizarre, but yeah, it was like, I got like catapulted into like straight A, you know, this different realm. And it changed me because it was like, wow, you know, I got respect. I got all these things because I was able to get these grades. But then I knew that, you know, I had been in a better school, apparently, you know, and then went to public school, which was completely different on so many levels, you know, and, and I had to laugh about it. But but what it did teach me was to focus, because if I could get the grade all of these other wonderful things would come with it. And it did. It came, trust came with the grade, as crazy as that sounds. You know, uh, all these doors opened, you know, and it was just because I, you know, I had, I was in National Honor Society and I was a, I was a scholar athlete, you know, it was just one of those, but it wasn't that I was trying to be any of those things. It's just that I like sports and I just, I had this, I had so much energy. I didn't know what to do with it. And if I didn't do something with it, I knew that it would not be good. So I thought, I need to make sure that I do this because this is good. <laughs> and so I was playing basketball, volleyball, track, softball, billiards, ping pong, downhill skiing, anything you could throw at me. I was snowmobiling, ice skating. I was playing ice hockey. You name it. I did anything I could, I could do. And motorcycling, you know, bicycling. Frisbee, I it didn't matter. I had to be up and moving. You know, it was like, let me do my thing. <laughs> so you just went one year in L.A. Yeah, and then you your folks moved clear across the country to Ohio. No, 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 no. not one year. We I was first grade through seventh grade in California. Born born in California, stayed here till seventh grade. Well, eighth grade, actually, because seventh grade was all Catholic school. And then eighth grade was my first public school. And then ninth grade was when we moved the family because I went home and told my parents about my experience because there was another experience that happened not that same day. But while I was there, first of all, okay, it's junior high school. But then I go to the lunch area and there's a bunch of kids smoking and I'm thinking they're smoking. They're going to get in trouble. It was the smoking circle. It was like they were allowed to smoke. I couldn't believe it. They were allowed to smoke cigarettes in school. <laughs> it was okay. So I'm sitting there and there's like all these kids smoking. I'm like, wow, this is like really weird. And then a joint comes around. Well, I knew what the joint was. I knew what the cigarettes were, but I didn't smoke and I didn't smoke pot either at the time. I was an athlete. I didn't really want to compromise my lung capacity. 
So I passed Makes it sense. on, you know, right? So I went home, told my parents about it, and we moved. <laughs> <laughs> didn't take any time at all, huh? <laughs> no time. Oh, wow. <laughs> no time at all. Yeah. So why Ohio? <laughs> why Ohio? Because my father's home state. My mother was from, from Minnesota. <laughs> Minnesota yeah. in the... So why Ohio yeah. then? My father's oh, home state. got it. My father's state is Ohio. My mother's was So Minnesota. it was one of those two. Correct. And the, and they weren't going to go to Minnesota. My mother did not want to go back to Minnesota. She she got out of there and she was like, I am never going back there. Not going <laughs> she, back. She came to California for a reason. Yeah. She was like, she's going to California. And she's not coming back. Got it. Now, yeah. so your dad's family was in central Ohio then? Correct. Springfield. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got it. That's uh, not far from central Ohio at all. Yeah. Or Columbus, Ohio, Ohio, I should say. Correct. Yeah. Columbus. We, that's, that's where um, I went to college, but we lived in, uh, gosh, well, we lived in a little teeny tiny town and not to be confused with Mansfield, Ohio, because Mansfield, Ohio has 80,000 people, but West Mansfield, Ohio, which is 80 miles from Mansfield, Ohio has 500 people. We lived in the town that had 500 people. (laughs) Small. And was it mainly a farming community? Yes, indeed. In fact, when I was in high school, the first time when I was a freshman, it was like, all of a sudden, like we had this half day, we got out like, I don't know, 11 o'clock in the the morning. And I was like, what's going on? And they're like, oh yeah, we just have a half day today. I'm like, why? You know, it was a really pretty day. And they're like, it's harvest. And I'm like, um, huh? (laughs) They're like, it's harvest. And I'm like, harvest? They're like, yeah, harvest moon. And I'm like, harvest moon? Um, yeah, you know, full moon, you know, long moon, harvest. I'm like, um, uh, and they're like, we have to harvest the fields and it's a full moon. We get a longer day. And I'm like, oh, that's how farming community <laughs> yeah. So I, I have to ask because I'm, I'm born and raised in Ohio, but I'm not as familiar okay. with um, West Mansfield. 500 people. That's what it was when I was living there. Was it predominantly white community? Completely white community. There were no other black people. So so the population was your family. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Got it. All right. And I I bring that up because I assumed that, but I, I, like I said, I wanted to validate, but I was felt pretty confident with that. Just out of curiosity, Gavin, I mean, you were... In high school in the 70s, the late 70s then, right? Correct. Correct. How many siblings do you have? I have two brothers. I have okay. no sisters. And are you the oldest, middle, or youngest? I'm the middle child. Okay. Oh, there <laughs> <Yes>. we go. <laughs> what was that like for your family going to that farming community? Well, first of all, it was, oh my gosh, that's a really deep question. I'm just going to say that. Um, wow. Uh, let's put it this way. My father has no fear when it comes to moving or moving about the the world, (laughs) which is wonderful. So for him, it was like, yeah, we're moving back to my home state and you know, this is what I'm going to do. You know, and he was a, I told you a painting contractor and everybody told him, oh, you'll never be able to get a job. You know, there's all the painting contractors have everything sewed up. You'll never be able to get a business off the ground. Before my father was done, he was one of the biggest contracting companies in the area for painting. Okay. No one else ever talked about anybody else except for my father, Alan Wallace. And his That's painting awesome. Company. Yeah. I mean, my dad 
was, is, you know, is he's charming. He's, he's charming and he is a pleaser and a decent businessman. I mean, you know, this is a, this is a, a, a black man that managed to be successful even in California, moved from California back to his home state, was successful making a business there and then moved from Ohio back to California and started his business again. Wow. <laughs> That's my dad. Wow. Yeah. And was successful business again. He, he retired when he was in his late seventies, I think early eighties, and then decided that he was bored and went back to work. He's still working now. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I am not kidding you. This guy's a rock star. He is, he is a total rock star. Total well, his offspring star. is a rock star as well. <laughs> wow, this is this is really cool. And this is some of the backstory that pieces some of the information together for me when I look at and explored your website, gavinfacts.com. And th- what a great backstory to help connect the dots on a lot of this. Thank you. I'm, I'm thrilled because, you know, it's it's really nice to talk about my parents. And I hope that I'm not overwhelming the audience because I truly, I am so in love with my parents. My parents have been really amazing. They just had amazing parenting skills. They really did. They really did. And I, you know, and I transfer a lot of that on to the kids that I teach, you know, the parenting skills that I received from my parents, I use in my classroom, you know, and um, it has served itself well. And I'm, I'm very proud of all of my students. Now, when you say classroom, yeah, talk a little bit more about that. What is your classroom? Um, actually, well, when my, my artistic career that I work on feverishly and have been all of my life uh, has its ebbs and flows, meaning valleys and feast and famine. (laughs) When it becomes famine, you know, you realize that you really need to get a job that will work for you. Well, fortunately, because I listened to my parents and went to college, I got my bachelor's degree and then later my master's degree and went back into teaching. And I'm a physical education teacher. Nice. I teach 280, sometimes up to 300 students a day. But my normal classroom size is about 50 plus students. And then I have a homeroom that is about 28. So it's about 280 students that I teach. What grade range? Uh, I I am qualified to teach K through 12. Uh I am at a middle school that teaches sixth through eighth, and I have taught all of those grades. But I am primarily doing eighth grade now, which is my most favorite grade level. That is outstanding. That is so cool. Thank you. My grandmother was a teacher for 30 years, and she is one of, between her and my grandfather, I actually wrote a book about my grand grandfather and really my grandmother in their relationship and just like what you said, parenting. And I, I have such an affinity for teachers. It's it's just an amazing, amazing profession. I have such respect for teachers. So kudos to you. That's so cool. Thank you so much. It, it's, I have to admit, it is, how can I put this? It is not my passion. I have, I have things that I, I am more passionate about than my teaching. Although I do love to teach. Um, it, our education system sometimes frustrates me. I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> My grandmother said this same thing. <laughs> it's it's teaching to tests opposed to teaching to building life skills. Exactly. And fortunately, um, fortunately, I am in 
a subject that allows me to teach all of that. You know, I mean, I couldn't imagine being a, a core teacher. You know, I have to give big kudos to teachers that teach science and history. I teach, a, you know, a class that is of the arts. Uh, and it it is very different than teaching a core class. Sometimes, you know, I mean, we have obviously larger numbers, but but they teaching a core subject that is not always a favored subject is highly difficult. And in order to engage students becomes even more challenging. You know, I mean, I, I had to figure out ways to engage my kids because, you know, you have a lot of children that are apathetic about physical education. They don't want to move at all. And, you know, because they like book reading or they like uh, doing something other than athletics, you know, and there's not a thing wrong with that. You know, they might like playing their cello all day long. So for them, you know, this is, this is a foreign body. And I think my biggest challenge in teaching was trying to figure out how I was going to engage these kids where I could hook them and have them believe and know that what they were learning was something that they could use for the rest of their lives. And they needed to know it because that's always been the big question for anybody, you know, in a classroom that you don't want to be in is like, why am I here? Yeah. (laughs) I don't want to be here. Yeah. Gavin, I want to call something out that I so appreciate. I appreciate you being vulnerable and honest about the fact that teaching is not your main passion. And I think oftentimes in our day job, so to speak, it's almost like we're afraid to say that out loud. And Mm -hmm. for the listeners to hear that, that it's, it's okay. And it's great to have your day job that you don't mind doing. Right. But don't lose track of your true passion and continue to pursue that. Exactly. What a great message that you can have both. There's nothing wrong with having your day job that provides that financial stability that you don't mind doing. And it's okay if it's not your your passion, your number one passion. I, I love that message. And thank you for uh, being vulnerable and sharing that. Thank you. I mean, honestly, your questions are are quite compelling. It's really nice to be interviewed and not be asked the same questions over and over and over again. So I thank you for that. I do. This has been a lovely interview. It's it's made me think about a lot of things that I haven't thought about in a long time. It, people have asked me for my interview questions. And if I'm being honest, Kevin, I don't have interview questions. It, it's me sitting down and being genuinely interested in my guests and just really learning and understanding their world. And uh, in in looking at your website, and again, I've said it twice already, I'm going to say it again, you have a great website. <laughs> I, it's very captivating. There's Thank a lot of great you. information. Go check it out. Um, it was amazing. I was like, wow, I feel honored that she would want to be on my podcast. And then I got curious and I emailed you and asked you if if it's okay if we explored you know, your experience and turn out be your family's experience around being a woman of color and a family of color in these particular areas. And you said, yeah, I'm open to that. And when I went to your website, I got curious of what led up to that. There's these great accomplishments. You, and it, correct me if I'm wrong, you got a full ride to college at Ohio State University for basketball. Is that accurate? No, I, not get a full ride. I got a partial scholarship. I wished it had been a full ride, but no, I did not get granted a full ride. I was a, I was a walk-on and made varsity traveling team. Are you um, kidding me? You were a walk-on? A walk-on. I was not recruited, even though I was, I was in a, um, 
I was at, well, you know, our high school was a farm school, so it really wasn't ranked all that high, but we were the WCFC champions. So I was good at my, you know, at my skills. What position did you play? Point guard. Point guard. Got it. Okay. I I just need to put this in perspective because not everyone is into sports. Ohio State University is a D1 school, which means it's the most competitive level in collegiate sports that you can get to. Most professional sports, uh, NFL, NBA, just because a lot of people know those is, um, or WNBA, recruit from D1 schools. So I, you're, you're so humble, Gavin, that I need to put it in perspective for people how impressive it is that you were a walk-on to this school. This isn't a D3 school. This was the elite level <laughs> to walk on at. And I didn't realize you were a walk-on. What, like, what did, <laughs> did you always know that you were going to walk on? Or it was just one of those things where it's like, ah, this is kind of cool. I'm going to try this. No, actually, um, I, I knew that I wanted to play for Ohio State University. I, I would have played for the Bruins had we lived in California because my mother wanted me to go to UCLA and I would have gone. I love UCLA, but we ended up in Ohio. So I, and what had happened, the only reason why I even thought about going to Ohio State University was because I had seen the coach um, who was coaching at the time. And then I had heard about the prospect of her, you're not, you're not, this is going to blow your mind. I heard about the prospect of her later bringing on Tara Vanderveer. Now, Tara was in her 20s when she was my coach at Ohio State University because Debbie Wilson was the head coach. Tara Vanderveer was the assistant coach. But I, I was on the varsity squad, but I was on the second team. I wasn't on first team. I wished I had been on first team. Um, but I was coached by Tara Vanderveer. And so I did play first team, but it, was, it wasn't as much as I would have liked. But um, I was coached under Tara Vanderveer. Now, Tara Vanderveer is the woman that took the uh, women's basketball team to the Olympics and got the first gold. <laughs> you have like a storybook <laughs> life. I mean, I'm just I'm laughing. I'm like, this is. <laughs> do you ever just pause and look back and be like, wow, wow? I do. Sometimes I look at it and go, what just right, happened? Right, right, right. <laughs> Well, it's funny because there's probably someone somewhere out there that that, you know, looks at your accomplishments like, wow, you got so lucky. And, you know, I always challenge people. I don't believe in luck. I think that's garbage. What when I see people and they are successful, what other people call luck is where preparation meets opportunity. That's not luck. What you're not seeing is years of preparation that when that opportunity came up, they were able to seize the moment. Yes, that that in itself is exactly right, because it it does come down to in the planning. I think the one thing that we have to keep in mind, because I had to work to keep this in mind when it became a chore or so much of a chore, like trying to get to a particular dream, I would change direction. I would change direction into another dream (laughs) because I don't want it to be a chore because it's about the journey. And if you're not enjoying it, then you need to change direction, you know? And, and I learned that really quickly. And I'm sure that has everything to do again with my parents, because it's like, if they ran into something that, 
wasn't happy, they changed directions and kept it happy, you know, and kept it moving. And, and through that, I mean, my father just last year, they had my father film uh, a show called the honor flight. All right. And my father is one of the last surviving world war II vets. Oh, wow. And so they flew veterans to Washington. My father hadn't been to Washington and they got to see the white house and they got to, you know, it, it was incredible. Well, they just finished a book on my dad, not on my dad specifically, but my father is in this book and it's a world war II heroes book. And, um, he just did this big book signing. <laughs> this is my dad who's 94. I'm telling you, he's a rock star. That's outstanding. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry. I know I keep segueing back to my parents, but it's like, I can't take, there's such a part of me that just feels so awkward in accepting some of these accolades that come to me because it's like, no, but you don't understand. <laughs> you don't know my parents. <laughs> I, I just, I, I love the references back to them. And, you know, as, as parents, we always second guess ourselves in our parenting. <laughs> We always want to make sure we get it right. And you do the best you can and try to be the best model you can. And wow, what an ultimate compliment you are giving your mother and your father right now. And just Thank you. being who you are in the person that they raised you around their values and just living it out. I can't think of a, a better compliment and way to honor them. It's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, you know, when I think about the first time I picked up a wrench or, or a, you know, tire iron, you know, is, is my dad saying, you need to know how to do this. You know, um, you need to know how to do this. You need to know how to do this. And uh, it's, it's so funny because I took those things that both of my parents gave me as little droplets of, of water, you know, when you're a child and, and, and took them to the next level because my parents, both of my parents were perfectionists in that, in that sense, you know, it's like, okay, if you're going to work on your motorcycle, then you really need to do it right. I mean, go big or go home. You know, It's like, if you're going to do this, really dive into it. And it didn't matter whether it was ping pong or downhill skiing or driving, or, you know, it, it could be any, you know, anything, whether it was a sport, whether it was, if you decide to do it, do it to the best of your ability. And if you don't like doing it, then you need to change direction. <laughs> That's such simple and great advice. Too often we think we should be doing something because it's what we've always done. And that may not be the answer. Sometimes you got to pivot. Yeah, it is. It is about, a pivot. you know, it is about the pivot. It really is. It is about the pivot. Um, I'm really actually glad that you used that term because my kid, you know, and which, you know, throws me back into the teaching thing. Cause I think about my kids and they're like, yeah, Miss Wallace, I broke his ankles and I juked him. And I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> you know, And I'm like, what? And then I'm I, like translation, you know, trying to figure out. And it's like, oh, okay. No, like juking is like pivoting, you know, like dodging, you know, like stopping on a dime and changing that direction just enough to slide whoever you need to slide off you know, because that's not the direction that you want to go and you don't want anybody to stop you. You know, it's all about all of that. Absolutely. Now, just to kind of bring it current, a lot of the material that you have out there and that's on your website and you've uh, been part of a documentary. I mean, we'll, we'll get into that. But the the content, the meat and potatoes behind that is riding your motorcycle 
and the community around female motorcyclists. When did you really realize that moment that hit you that's like, yes, this is it. This is this is my place of peace. Mm, wow. You know, I have to say, and this is really interesting. I mean, I, I, I've ridden, like I said, I started riding motorcycles when I was 10. But when I really, even though I had lots of miles, lots of miles under my belt, by the time I bought my first Harley Davidson, that's when it really changed for me. And, and I never thought that it would because people were like, oh, your life is going to change when you get a Harley. Because I always had wanted a Harley. <laughs> and, um, you know, I kept putting it off because, you know, they're expensive. All oh, they break down, all this, oh, la, 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 you know, and it was like, oh, I really want a Harley. Well, you know, the first bike that I had was a moped. The second bike that I had was a, you know, a dirt bike. The third bike that I had was a Honda 350, 1969 two-tone red and white Honda twin. And then I went from that to a 750 Honda and then went from that to my first Harley. So I had, I had already been riding for 17 years before I bought my first Harley and I loved riding and I rode all over the country. You know, I went to New York on that bike from Ohio. I went to Canada on that bike, you know, from Ohio, the, the 750. But when I bought the Harley, everything did change. It was like, I stepped out of everybody motorcycling world into the art world. How so? Um, That's fascinating. What about that machine helped make that transition? Well, I realized, you know, even though I customized my Honda, which I loved, I loved my 750 Honda. I customized it, you know, I had, you know, certain seat on it, I had a city, you know, all these things, I just customized it. And it was my bike. When I got that Harley and began to work on it, because I had to, I didn't have the money. I didn't have the money and the luxury of being able to go to a mechanic and have them fix it because I didn't have the money for it at the time. So I had to learn how to work on that bike until it was like a major deal, like a major engine situation at which point I, I had to, you know, go to a mechanic. But, you know, I think for me, it was the fact that it was American made. I think for me, it was the fact that I had seen so many Okay. Okay. I have to, I have to segue into a little tiny story. All right. I used to go into this store and look at the, the old easy rider magazines. Now, if anybody knows about easy rider magazines, they're kind of sleazy. Okay. And I'm a little kid, but this guy had them for like 10 cents in his shop because he'd use them and then they'd be all curled up or whatever. And then he'd toss them in the corner by this chair at the entrance of his store. And I would go in and I would sit in that chair and I would page through Easy Rider looking at all of these pictures. Of course, there are a lot of naked women in these pictures. I really wasn't interested in the naked women, although they, were, although they were pretty. And I did like looking at them for like a little bit. You know, it was like, oh, that's pretty. That's interesting. But wow, look at this motorcycle. And wow, these people are having a great time. And wow, look at that fire. Wow, this is really cool. You know, I mean, it was, yeah. it was that feeling of a little bit of barbarianism, you know, and a little bit of primeval, that, that primal, that's what sucked me in. When I saw that and that I, because I loved camping, I loved being outdoors. I loved anything that had anything to do with motorcycles. I loved the camaraderie around a campfire. I loved cooking outside. I loved playing silly little games in the dirt and in the mud. I loved knowing and, and feeling on my own, knowing that I could get lost and it would be okay. 
you know, um, there was some part of independence and it was almost like walking from, okay, we're going to travel the United States, which is fabulous to, okay, let's hop on this motorcycle and travel the world. I don't know why I felt Mm. that way with my Harley, but I felt it for some reason, that particular machine took me from a black and white world to a world of all color, you know, like a, a world in technicolor. Uh, yes. Kind of like, and, and I know that sounds really weird, but that's really how I felt. It's really how I felt. And then I began to customize my bike so that it would match me, you know, like how I felt about the world and how I, how the, the things that I wanted on it were things I wanted close to me all the time, you know, like my bedroll, you know, even on my older shovel head, when I first did my shovel head, that was the blanket. That was my prayer blanket. You know, that was my prayer blanket, the blanket that I use now. It's a, it's actually a rug. You know, I have a actual Hudson's Bay rug or sorry, Hudson's Bay blanket and a Navajo rug on the front of my bike right now. And that's my prayer rug. You know, that's the rug that I sit down and I meditate on, or I pray on, you know, and, and my Hudson's Bay blanket, that's sacred to me too, because that that's from the native American side of me. You know, it's like, I have this native American side and I have the African American side and it's, it's all of that. You know, I'm, I'm of this soil, but I'm all, I'm also of African soil, but I'm of this soil too, you know? That's beautiful. It's, it's deep, you know? I mean, when I had my first custom paint job done on my motorcycle, it's extremely symbolic. I mean, on, on the Harley and I still have that tank intact. I'll probably have to put it up on the wall pretty soon though, because I've had to repair it so many times. It's like, you know, it's getting to the point where my, all my, my mechanic friends, you know, that, that know me and, and have seen me work on this tank, like over and over and over again. They're like, you know, Gav, <laughs> there's going to be a time we have to hang those tanks up. <laughs> I know. <laughs> one day, one day, yeah. but today is not the day. Today is, <laughs> today is not the day. Yeah. Wow. And see what you just described there is what draws me in. It's how well you articulate in your posts the feeling that you have when you're going through this journey and riding your motorcycle. And, you know, I've, I don't think I've ever ridden on a motorcycle and I certainly haven't um, driven one. Oh my gosh. Okay. Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Where are you based (laughs) out if you don't mind my Columbus, Ohio. Okay. When will be the next time you're going to be in the LA area? (laughs) I don't know. Okay. Have you ever been to the LA area? I have twice. Um, Yes, I have. Okay. All right. Well, that needs to change. (laughs) (laughs) You need to come out and you don't even need to worry about where to stay. I mean, I can certainly, I will black out a space at the cabin, you know, so that you just have the cabin for the time that you're in LA or you can couch surf and stay at my place, you know? (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. It's part of it is, is being able to trust the person. Sure. Because especially when I was younger and stuff, there's always the show off factor. And I wasn't about the show off. But like I said, with your post, it drew me in to the serenity around it. And I I just found it fascinating. Then when I dug in deeper and read more about the leaders and the whole community, it's like, wow. And then, you know, with 
Jesse Combs passing and yeah. her sharing stories around when she's on a motorcycle. It, it, it really started to captivate me and get me really curious about this community. I said, I need to reach out to some of these women and I want to interview them because there's this whole community that is fascinating to me and captivating. But the, there's there is a common theme that I was seeing is this space of peace, presence and serenity that was just really drawing me in and I wanted to learn more about it. It is, it is all of that, you know, and again, I, I have to, I do have to preface this, you know, that there will always be thorns on a rose, <laughs> you know, there will always be thorns, but the truth of the matter is, is the world that we live in as bikers, as biker women is one of great adventure and great learning and great lessons of empowerment and great lessons of of just life in itself and and it has its ups and downs and it has times when you you know are moving away or you're moving towards it is what it is it's just like any other life outside of outside of you know anyone else's life the difference is is that we live a little bit more on the edge we live a little bit more out loud um we, in my opinion, just as the biker community in, in its whole has been described as the last rebels, we are indeed the last rebels. We're, we're like, and I don't want to say we're the last pirates, but, you know, it's like if you were going to liken us to something else that was in, you know, the 14th century, it would be pirates, with the exception of the fact that we're not raping and pillaging everyone, you know, some do, you know, but You know, I mean, it it is a community just like any other. There's good, bad, and ugly. But um, it's a wonderful community. I'm so happy to be a part of it. And, you know, it it comes with its dark side, just as any community does. Every community, whether it's a church community or whether, who knows? Because we're human. You, everything is a spectrum, everything. And if you don't get that, then you're living in tunnel vision. You know, and I'm hoping that I'm not insulting anybody, but you have to have a broader range Mm -hmm. of what your focus is because it is 360 degrees. And if you're not looking at things 360 degrees and not stepping in other people's shoes enough to understand what they might be going through, then you're, you're robbing yourself of three quarters of life. You know, I, I love how you piece this together and, in. What I respect about what what you're saying and what you bring it back to is level setting. Because, yes, be positive, but don't be naive and blind that it is a 360-degree exactly. lens. And I, I so appreciate you saying that because it's, with social media and stuff, it's so easy to just see all the quote-unquote good stuff or rosy stuff. Only the rose, not the thorns. Well, it's... It's the same way on the dark side. It's like sometimes it's easy to see nothing but the the dark stuff and and be frustrated, you know, your entire life. You mm-hmm. know, it, it, it it's again, it's a spectrum. So go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, you're you're spot on. I'm I'm so in agreement with you. Now we had talked briefly earlier tonight about potentially getting an interview together with a group of women. Do you mind sharing a little bit about that, the group of women that we're talking about? Oh, my goodness, my girls. You know, I have a group of girls that I've been working with for some time, and um, they are called, we are called, a quest called Tribe. And what we are 
working towards and bringing to fruition is um, we're looking for basically today's revolutionaries. You know, those people that are uh, digging wells where there is no water or bringing light where there is no light, bringing food where there's, you know, bad food or bad sanitation, uh, becoming an organic farmer, um, you know, uh, rescuing, you know, girls out of the slave trade. You know, it, it could be anything like that. You know, who who are your superheroes? So what we're trying to do is, um, because of the fact that one of our most favorite modes of uh, traveling is motorcycling, and we do travel all over the country, and we're working on traveling glo- more globally um, as we grow, and, and our hope is to be able to be in positions where we can interview these amazing individuals all over the world uh, that are changing life for the better and bringing more positivity, you know, more love, more empathy. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not talking about enabling people. I am talking about educating people so that they can do for themselves, you know, providing them with things that will, uh, make them prosper much like Oprah's school, for example, you know, I mean, she was just talking about it in an interview that I was listening to not too long ago. And she was talking about some of the girls are in their twenties now. And, and they're, many of the girls are applying for college now. And, and some are because, you know, I mean, all of these wonderful things that have resulted from this, you know, it's like, it's putting back into the community any way you can, you know, some of us don't have my, I, I don't have money. I've, I, so I donate my time, you know, I, I do everything I can to help, charities or, or, you know, give my time to charities or, or work for a charity or whatever the case may be, but it's time. It's time. Our world is, is fracturing and it is, it is just, it is crying for a hug. Yes. <laughs> crying for a hug. I, yes, yes, <laughs> it is. And, and I am honored and excited to have that uh, group interview to dig in even deeper to this topic because uh, it, I just, I love the premise of it and to really expand on that and to get people thinking outside of the box. Exactly. Those are the types of interviews that I want my children to listen to. Exactly. I, I have to share this and brag on my, my little dude. He's nine years old and I picked him up from school on Friday and my kids call me Mati. It's Croatian for mother just means mother in another uh. language because they have two moms and just a way to distinguish them. Uh. And he said, Mati, can can we go pick up trash in the community this weekend? Oh. And I'm like, God, you're a little rock star. He he has a, <laughs> a giving that. envelope, the ki- both of them do, and he spent his own money to buy a kit that has a glove and a bag to pick up trash so he can... And I'm like... That's the good stuff right there. Wow. And he asked on his own. I didn't prompt or anything. That's what he wanted to spend some of his time on the weekend doing. That's amazing. Yeah. That's absolutely amazing. So I, 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 I am super excited to interview you ladies together and talk more about that to just plant more seeds of what's possible and to get people thinking. I'm I'm super excited for that. I'm really excited too. You're going to love these gals. Um, they're extremely dynamic, all three of them. I was just, in fact, I had just done another interview earlier today, as a matter of fact, 
And um, I, I was talking about the fact that each of us has, it's kind of like having your own little superpower, you know, you hope that you have a little superpower, you know, and each of us has one of those. And then, and then we kind of, you know, how a transformer has its own little design when it's on its own. And then when it gets around uh, like each other, it can transform into one transformer all yeah, in one. Yeah. And that's how I feel with these girls. It's, it's been like that. It's been pretty cool. You know, they're, they're amazing. Well, they're amazing young women because they're all younger than I am. And, uh, I mean, they're, you know, like some of them are young enough to be my daughter and one other is old enough to be my sister, but they're all my sisters. You know, they're like, they're, they're my, they're my babies, but they're my sisters. And it's, it's such a wonderful thing because, um, it's been good. It's been good. I don't know which other way to to say it, you know, it's, it's kind of like a, just a happy puppy pile and it's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> happy puppy pile. I love it. Yeah. Now you had mentioned Lita's as well. Yes. And, and I think you're going to maybe introduce me to the founder of the Lita's, but do you mind just high level sharing what is the Lita's? Cause I know you're a part of the Lita's as well. Of course. And I'll do this to the best of my ability. Um, first of all, the Lita's was founded by, uh, the coolest chick ever. And her name is Jessica Haggett. She just recently got married and uh, her name is now Wise. So it's Jessica Haggett Wise. Jessica is in her 20s and she founded the Litas about four years ago now. And the Litas has become an international phenomenon because what she decided to do, instead of making a club, she made a community and made it open to the community. But she branded herself in such a way that she would be able to be basically, she branded the leaders and then she allowed people to become chapters in different cities all over the world. Well, she, that was not what she was thinking initially. When she first started this, she was with her girlfriends and they were like, hey, let's go for a ride. And it's like, yes, I wish we had some other girls that could ride too. And they were like, hey, why don't we put it on Instagram? <laughs> and so they did and they ended up with like a few more girls and then she thought, hey, what if I, you know, started asking other cities? <laughs> and then it ended up, you know, it just kind of piggybacked off of one. Let me just make the long story short. Within the first two years, she went from about 12 women to 62 countries all over the world. Wow. Yeah. It's an international phenomenon. She was brilliant in how she marketed herself with everything and brilliant as to how she went about marketing leaders. And she has become an international phenomenon. Now, another one that has become a, a phenomenon is Babes Right Out. That's Anya and Ashmore. They're amazing as well. These are women that decided to uh, coin the phrase Babes Right Out. They did indeed do that. And then they started having uh, all women uh, roundups, basically, on motorcycles. It didn't matter what kind of motorcycle you rode. So now you've got the leaders that's open to anyone and just a bunch of girls that want to get together and ride. And then you have Babes Ride Out that opens up a riding show just for women to come to. Okay. It's like you provide the audience and now we have a show that's been provided for the audience. <laughs> that's outstanding. <laughs> <laughs> and it has been amazing in the last decade because all of these women's organizations now are popping up, you know, but the founders of these organizations, like the largest ones, obviously, is the leaders. They're the international community that's bigger than none other at this point. But then there comes Babes, Babes Right Out, um, and they've got the show that comes 
you know, that they've been putting on for so long and they've honed that so well that they have about 2,500 women showing up for this show every year on motorcycles. And every town we take over, they can't believe what happens. <laughs> They're just like, these people are like, we went to Santa, Mar- we, we did Babes Ride Out at Santa Margarita Ranch near mm-hmm. north of San Luis Obispo. And it's a very small town. <laughs> But we had 2,500 women that took over the town on motorcycles. <laughs> it's like Woodstock, but exactly. female motorcyclists. Exactly. Everybody was thrilled. All the townspeople were like, it was like the circus came to town. <laughs> <laughs> That's outstanding. <laughs> they loved it. You know, everybody was asking us questions. And, and then, babe, you know, Anya and Ashmore had set up this, this beautiful, I think it was like 1840s barn and they lit it up and put the Babes Ride Out logo on the front. And they had all the motorcycle games. And they had the stage and the performers. And, and they had all kinds of whiskey and beer. And, and then good food sponsors, you know, health food sponsors. And then they had a, the, the Jesse Combs Foundation was there, you know, to, for a tribute for Jesse Combs. We had, we, was, we had Harley Davidson there. I mean, it was, it was amazing. It's amazing. You know? Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're, we're 20% of the motorcycling population and we really, we're we're growing so fast that I expect that we will be 30% in the next five years. That's just phenomenal. Yeah. It it has been a phenomenon. Now see the movement started back in the early nineties. The early nineties is when I did biker women for the discovery channel with three of my OGs and we're looking at doing a reunion. So we're trying to get a reunion, um, staged, we're working on a couple of things and hoping that they'll allow us to screen not only the leaders, but also biker women because it's the 25th anniversary. That would be really cool. And that's the most recent project pursuit that you're on right now. Yeah. Well, the other one that actually that's, that's in the works right now as well is um, a uh, project that I'm doing with that group of us is doing with uh, Adam Sandoval uh, and um, we're raising money for a charity as well as uh, later getting together to try to break the Guinness Book of World Records for the largest parade of women assembled uh, in the world. So that's the next thing is just try to get the women to come together now. So we need, we're trying to be a bit of a magnet because we want to be able to show just how many women there are that do this. Wow, And if we can get, that's why we did it kind of in the middle of the United States, because that way we can at least have as many women from the United States show up because it's in the middle of the United States and it's not like on the other side of the United States for anyone. Right, right. Centralized. Exactly. That's, that's how they started Sturgis. And Sturgis is now every year there's 1 million people that, that converge on this little teeny tiny town. That's crazy. I, I'm not, and I'm not facetious when I say one million people. Last year it was one. Well, let's see. the The 75th anniversary it was 1.1 million. That's insane. Insane. All on motorcycles. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. And all within a hundred miles of that party, Sturgis Week. There's parties for bikers going on. There's all kinds of signs. Welcome bikers. Welcome. Because they know that we come from all over the world and all over the United States to converge on Sturgis. Well, Babes Ride Out now has a Babes Ride Out East Coast, a Babes Ride Out West Coast, and a Babes Ride Out Central Coast. And uh, they're growing exponentially, very much so like the leaders. 
Wow. I, I, it's just the, the whole thing is fascinating to me, which is exactly why I had you on as a guest is just to learn and share what is out there. Well, Kevin, if you're up for it, I think this is a good time to do the red line round. And what the red line round is, is five rapid fire questions. There's no right or wrong answer to them. Whatever pops into your head is the right answer. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do this. All righty. Who or what has been the inspiration throughout your journey? Mm. My parents. (laughs) I asked it and I'm like, ah, I think I know the answer to this. (laughs) My parents. (laughs) Gavin, where do you go or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new or you get stuck? Wow. Um, You know, I I will, I'll get on the computer. I'll just, you know, hit Google or Safari and and just ask the question and then just start filing through what files they provide for me. And then I, then from that, I come to my own conclusions, but yeah, I, I do hit the internet. What excites you most about what you do? Wow. The fact that it's always changing, the fact that it's kind of like having a billboard of straight white mat and knowing that you can splash any color on it. Yeah. What a beautiful metaphor. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) What's a personal habit or practice that has helped you significantly in the industry when you feel stuck, unsupported, or discouraged? A personal habit. Wow. Um, I go, I get on my motorcycle. And I find a place to sit that's high, up high, like a, a mountaintop. I usually find a mountaintop, sometimes overlooking the ocean, sometimes overlooking the valley, sometimes overlooking like a cornfield or a spinach field, you know, crops. Um, but generally, it's a, a, a high place where I can sit on my bike and not be bothered by anybody. And I can just hear the flap of a bird's wings or the buzzing of a bee, you know, flies or, or just the wisps of the the air. Um, I just, that's when I, I, I sit still just to kind of hear the creator, you know, the, the heartbeat of the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Love it. What's your parting advice for other femcanics finding their way? Wow. Um, let your imagination be your guide and try not to be intimidated by things that scare you. You know, I mean, I, I can't even begin to think of how many times I, you know, didn't want to get into a carburetor or, you know, didn't want to get into a subject, (laughs) but you know, you kind of have to, I think once you face it and you just deal with it, it feels so much better. (laughs) It just feels so much better. Or, you know, just stand down, either you stand down or stand up. So if you stand up, just face it and do it, you know, just one step at a time, just do it and just keep moving in the direction you want to go and don't let anything stop you. Did I answer that question? I'm sorry. (laughs) Yes, you did. Yes, you did. (laughs) Kevin, where and how can people connect with you? Uh, You can find me um, on Facebook as Kevin Facts. Um, You can find me on Instagram uh, at Sapasu. That's S-A-P-A-S-I-O-U-X. You can find me on Vintage 57. That's my um, crafting company uh, that I'm building. Uh, let's see. You can find me on my website, govinfacts.com. <laughs> Wait, I have to ask crafting company. Yeah. You know, well, I, I buy, sell and trade and this is just a hobby. I buy, sell yeah. and trade vintage items, but I'm also a leather worker and, um, I design bracelets and cuffs and do some leather work, you know, that 
uh, it, it all started because I got tired of having jewelry that broke on me. So I started building my own. I also do, you know, I'm an artist. I do generally, you know, jewelry and just all kinds of stuff. But if you look at Gavin, or it's called Gavintage 57, G-E-V-N-T-A-G-E, mm-hmm. just like Gavintage. And then 57 um, on Instagram, you'll find all of my uh, Gavintage stuff. <laughs> See, this is what I'm saying. This, there's so many directions I could take this interview. You just kind of have to pick one and go with it. <laughs> Gavin, thank you so much for being on the Femcanic Garage podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you and your backstory. Thank you so much. I can't tell you how excited I was to be on the show, but I am so thrilled that we got a chance to talk about my parents. That's the most I've spoken about my parents, I, I think, in any given form. And it's been wonderful. Thank you. Stay active, my friend, and keep those amazing posts on Instagram coming. They're truly inspirational. Hi, I'm Gavin Fax, and I am just me. That's it. Drop the mic. I'm a (laughs) fanatic. I love it. (laughs) That is awesome. Jeanette Desjardins is in the driver's seat next. She is the founder and owner of the popular Car Chicks website and Facebook page. Her company has over 100,000 followers on Facebook. Join me in learning how this high school dropout went from dropout to successful business owner. Until next time, Femcanics. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, femcanicgarage.com, for swag and the transcribes for each episode. If you want to help grow this community, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a Femcanic?